I'm Daniel Valenciano, and you're listening to Section 109 Podcast. Welcome in to the Section 109 Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Jay Buchanan, and it's feeling a little bit more normal around here because we have our buddy back. He's back. Hi, guys. Introduce yourself. I am Matt Coniglio. And he's back. And I am back. I have returned from the great white north of Canada. Welcome back, Matt. Hey, thanks. And I'm Andrew Brzee, more often known as Breezy. And uh, Matt, what are we going to talk about today on the show? So we're going to cover a couple of hot takes uh, that I think you guys will be pretty excited about. We're also going to recap this past weekend's trip for the Members' Cup match in Detroit. And uh, we're also going to cover a pretty Pretty consequential piece of news regarding Chattanooga FC going to NISA. Absolutely. That's that's big. Um, and also, be on the lookout in your feeds later this week for a player bio. If you liked Gabby Torres and his little mini interview, you're going to like the next one. A quick shout out, quick uh, housekeeping note. Todd Hudgens, the one of the hosts of the 423 Soccer Pod, was going to be here tonight and he had something come up at the last minute and he was unfortunately not able to join us, so... We miss you, Todd. We wish you were here, but we will do a collab episode with you guys soon. Um, so anyone that saw, I know they previewed it and we previewed it a little bit on Twitter, but it was not to be due to circumstance, but uh, we hope to have a collab episode with those guys soon. Yeah, now I'm just going to get on my burner Twitter account and talk trash to them. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely should. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, let's get into the hot takes. Let's, let's do, do it. it. So this is Hot Takes, where me, Matt, and Breezy may argue, and I think you'll all enjoy it. What do you uh, got for us today, Jay? I heard you have uh, something I'm not going to like. So I have an argument I want to bring up about VAR, because VAR is kind of, I don't know. In the news? It's in the news, and it's new in certain leagues. Um, And there's been some controversial goals and handballs and things that I'm not going to go into detail about, but I just wanted to bring up the fact that I think... American sports has VAR figured out and has had VAR figured out. Now, the sports are different, but in my two examples, three, three examples right off the top of my head, hockey, baseball, and football, it's an option to view. Now, in football, in the last few minutes, I know it's an automatic review on plays. I think it's under two minutes. But in baseball, if you, if you think your guy got to first base – the team has an option to view, you know, everybody has monitors, right? Like a challenge flag kind of thing. Exactly. The red flag in football is what I was going to go to after. But like, and so that's a little bit different because they only have a certain amount. But in hockey, it, if something controversial happens, like a goal intender, goaltender interference, somebody runs into the goalie, and the home team that had their goalie pushed out of the crease before somebody scored, they're going to look at the refs and point immediately upstairs. And they're going to do an optional review, but there's no immediate intent to review in in, in the NHL. And baseball is the same. If your guy got to first base, got called out, the manager is going to ask for a review. So, in my opinion, I think that we have it figured out in being a limited option because it can get crazy in soccer, which it has in different areas. Matt's pointing at Breezy and they're shaking their heads, so they're about to tear me apart. Why don't you guys just go? Facts. 
instant replay in sports sucks. It's bad. True. It's awful. It takes up time. The referees still blow the calls, and I get older by the second. I just want to point out in your example that football has it right. They don't. Who knows what a catch is? No, no one. one. That's true. It is a very controversial rule. And will you, always be. You know what they had to do in baseball to speed up the game? Not do replays. They had to do like a, a timed pitching, like a, a time limit for pitching. Why? Because they added stupid things like replays. Here's, here's the real problem, though. Correct, but that's like play-by-play replay, not like reviewable plays, correct? Who cares? If, if we're going to have referees to, or umpires to monitor the rules of a competition, we have to accept that, you know, sometimes referees suck and they miss calls and they're bad. And, you know, sometimes that goes against the team you like. Sometimes it goes for the team you like. But more importantly, we all sit there and get old. The oh, beer I, gets I agree. warm. It's oh, a travesty. I, I agree. The most unsatisfying thing for me is waiting for VR, VAR after a bunch of people have celebrated and stuff. And it's just time wasting to me. But if there is... They're going to do it. Like, you and I can't stop VAR from happening right now. So if we have to think about oh, the yeah, best option. we're all going down this path together. And I'm, I'm freaking, I'm sitting here after I got to see just a glimpse of Tottenham City. And just, like, it's not the outcome that baffled me. But just, like, it, it the time it took after the goal, after the celebrations, stuff like that. I think with the handball and it never been seen and would have been a goal. I'm just confused. I don't really have any of the answers, so but I just... Here's, here's the two problems. VIR has two problems. Number one, its implementation is still clumsy. Very much so. Number two is that the rules in soccer are imprecise. They were not designed for replay. They were not designed for perfect replay. You look at offsides, if you can then get it down to the millimeter, then marginal offsides means defenses can play more aggressively because they're n- almost never going to give the tie to the runner. And that means that the offside rule is going to be even more effective, potentially, and therefore less goals will be scored. And that defeats the whole purpose of the onside rule, or the offside rule, because it was made to keep scoring down, but like to temper it, not to kill it. So what's a handball? No one freaking knows. What's encroachment with a goalkeeper or a goalkeeper off the line? Like that's the dumbest stuff ever, and that's what we're nitpicking. And it's not even VAR's fault. Yeah, that, th- this it's, is the key point here. It's terrible rulemaking and imprecise rulemaking. The fact that no one knows what a handball is, nobody enforced rules that were on the book and now the books and now they're being enforced. It's dumb. Now, will it does it hopefully result in more good things happening than or more right outcomes? Yeah, but as Matt said, it, the current implementation absolutely massacres the game. When someone scores, you're just looking around, going, "I hope they don't var this." Hold mm-hmm. on, they wait two minutes before celebrating. Mm-hmm. It's uh, terrible. So as a as a fan of uh, Spurs uh, and a beneficiary of VAR over the weekend, it was not actually VAR that did anything. It was a bad hand. I mean, like the handball rule sucks right now. Mm-hmm. Like it's bad. And granted, it benefited me. So what do I care? But it's a it's a bad rule. If a ball happens to fall out of the like a meteor out of the sky and touch your arm when it's by your side. That play is, cons- Still a is supposed to be considered dead now. Correct. Like, under the new rules. But so for, that's, that's wild, first off. But and, and here that's, we are. That's where I think the NFL's challenge rules may actually come in. You you give a you give a coach an option. Three I'm, tries. I know I'm I'm going to challenge the fumble on the field. I don't give a shit if you see offside. I don't give a shit if there's an encroachment or a false start. They can't call that. It's all about the call that they challenge on the field. Or 
we could just empower referees to, you know, call. But once again, the, game. the rest of the world doesn't want to do that. While I am in full agreement, except for when we're playing in the MPSL. <laughs> I, I was gonna say just to put a nice bu- just to put a nice bow on this, we all three would have taken some uh, some VAR this weekend when Detroit got away with potentially a red card tackle, potentially denial of a goal screen opportunity, and certainly a slide tackle from behind that wasn't called as a foul that should have been a foul and a dangerous free kick at the least. I mean, I don't want to break it down. I just want to point out I would have taken VAR. Here's the, here's the problem: always we've down. all watched soccer games and seen uh, a call. A yeah. bad call, go up to the replay booth for someone just to be like, you know what? That's not clear and obvious. I can't really tell. We're not going to overturn that. When it is clear and obvious, having VAR, having instant replay, it all, it, we're just going to take two minutes, three minutes to look at something, still get the call wrong, and let's move on with our lives? Come on. At that point, we'll have it. I cannot right. wait. I cannot wait to get into the 120th minute of a soccer game and still be in the second half stoppage time. Cannot wait for these days to come. All right. Well, uh, I'm glad we made some serious progress on that issue. Well, I thought that I had a decent point, but now I feel dumber. So, Well, that's what happens. That's how I usually <laughs> feel when talking to Matt. All right, cool. Well, let's jump into the next segment. So this uh, weekend I was on a bachelor trip in the Smokies and didn't have any internet, so I almost gouged my eyes out at 7.30 on Saturday. Or was it 7.30 or 8.30? Are they Central Time? 7.30. Eastern Either way, I could not get a stream because the internet in the Smokies is terrible. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, um, and similar situations with you guys, right? I mean... I mean, I... I also could not get an internet stream because I was there. (laughs) Yeah, I was beating a drum too hard to look at my phone. Ah, well, I'm super jealous, and I want to hear all about it. So that's what this segment is going to be for. I want to know details. Did you go to the football, throwing at bowling pins bar? Did you make a trip through the city? What what happened? I did, so let's start with fouling or foaling or whatever the hell it's, it's called. It's foaling. Did you try it? No. I didn't try it my first two trips up there. This was the third time I've been up there, and I tried it. It's really fun. Uh... The Moors, TJ and Amanda, and then Tom Gonzalez and I all played. Played twosomes, two on each side. And first of all, it's very difficult. Like, <laughs> like very difficult. Like, I looked at it and I was like, okay, these scrubs can't throw footballs. No, it's hard. It's difficult. And then um, Amanda whooped us. And TJ regrets ever teaching her to throw a football. <laughs> she was like throwing pump fakes and like just crushing it. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, so surrounding that place, that's their pregame bar for Detroit City. It's the official thing that they do that's pregame. Awesome. They have this thing called Dad Van. Is, are either of you familiar with the origins of Dad Van? No way. Uh, no, but please enlighten me. So I'm going to give you a bastardized story, and some Northern Guard member is going to like listen to this and pull their hair out and gouge their eyes out. But I think um, they'll probably just tweet instead. Oh, they might scream some obscenities. Uh, so what? Basically, what happened is somebody decided to like have their van on the side of the road and like serve beer out of it one day when they were all just gathered around the van having a good time and kind of sort of tailgating, but more like just hanging around a car for a minute. And then everyone had such a good time, such a silly time. They started making fun of the guy who like had the van. They called it the dad van. So jokingly, they did it again. And they did it again. And then it grew into basically a tailgate. So it's on the side street. There are literally semi-trucks 
and regular cars that drive up and down this street. So somebody screams car or truck and everyone gets out of the way. And this time they did it really big for us. They put out tents just like we do when we have a big tailgate. And they served conies. They served beer. Conies. Whiskey. Yeah. Vegan conies as well. Whoa. Baklava. I did see a massive baklava. sandwich. Nachos. Oh, the, the baklava was stuffed with like cream cheese filling. Some of it was. It was phenomenal. Yikes. That sounds incredible. Um, Wasn't there like a Moscow mule station too? I missed that. There was definitely a White Claw spritzer station where it was called the Basic Bitch Test. Oh. <laughs> I did remember seeing <laughs> And that. so they, it was That's like a blind incredible. taste test, and you had to decide which one you liked the best. Um, I unfortunately did not do that. I'm, I'm genuinely sad I didn't. Disappointed. I got busy. I'm sorry. Um, but it was really cool. The hospitality was amazing. Um, it was really cool to hang out with the people. Um, As always, a lot of the Northern Guard supporters uh, put up Chattahooligans in their homes. Yes. I stayed with the Novaks. Shout out to uh, Joe and Kristen for being beautiful humans. They shipped off their daughter for the weekend and took in my wife and I. So they took in an angel and me, so it was great. <laughs> uh, so the night before the game, we had a pregame party. Matt, were you as impressed as I was with the venue for the pregame party? Yeah, so the venue was at the Detroit City Fieldhouse, uh, although technically we were at the clubhouse portion, uh, which is a basically a bar and... Uh, a bar that serves food. Yeah, that's like, probably the number one jealous thing awesome for me about food. them. I see it on. I follow them on Instagram, and, and it's so let me cool. let me just tell you something. What is the Fieldhouse, Matt? Well, first off, let me just say, like up front, I want one. Me too. I yeah, want one. I can agree. I told both Sheldon and Tim. I think I said it a few times. Yeah, yeah. on it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I definitely was like, guys, guys, I want this. They were like, we know. So, we so like basically, it too. so basically, the Detroit City Fieldhouse is the former practice facility for the Detroit Red, Red Wings hockey team. And uh, it was no longer in use uh, and available and whatever. Detroit City picks this thing up, uh, retrofits it a little bit uh, with some, like, f- seven, eight aside. I don't know, really know soccer fields. Uh, there's, there's, two different, there's two different versions. Uh, and they're not, they're, you know, they're like basketball court slash hockey rink sized uh, fields. Uh, and then there's there's two of them. There's this little like passageway over top, and that's where the clubhouse sits. They've got the uh, they've got like a like a little merch room. Uh, it's a club shop. Yeah, it's it, really it, cool. Mer- merch room was a, a gross uh, gross uh, underestimation of what it was. Uh, the, the club shop's there. I think they got some offices somewhere so in there too. Apparently, they have a weight room. They have an area where they eat, which maybe the clubhouse itself. So they eat team meals. To they eat breakfast there. What I was told by some of the supporters, they the team eats breakfast there. It's amazing. And team meals there, lunch and sometimes dinner. And they also have a weight room there, so they work out there. And on days they don't practice at Keyworth, whether it's weather or just a day that is not uh, befitting of a full practice, they're able to do like skill works indoors or weight room work indoors. That's going to come in really handy when, uh, when you know, and when they move to Nisa and we're playing more of a you know a long. A long-term schedule, especially over the winter, they'll be able to. And practice it's like negative indoors. seventeen yeah, degrees outside. Able, they'll be able to practice indoors at least half the time. So, yeah, I, I want one. Is the moral of that story? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and uh, if the CFC front office, the board, or if you guys are listening, uh, I know I told a couple of you already this weekend, but like I'm telling the rest of you, I want one, please. All right. What? Um, without getting too in depth. On a tactical breakdown, the game rolls up. 
The stands are full, 6,700 people. The Detroit supporters, the Northern Guard, put up a massive TIFO. It was very, very cool. Yeah. And then we cheered on the boys for 90 minutes. It was a hard-fought game. Our guys came out on the losing end, didn't deserve to lose, but Detroit scored two good goals, and we didn't finish our chances. And then we went out and partied after the game for a little while. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'll add to the game is I thought I thought the boys played well. Uh, I think they executed. Uh, I think they executed the game plan, and and the like ninety percent of the field uh, finishing just wasn't wasn't right on the day. Uh, Detroit City's keeper had some had some working saves, and uh, they caught us out in two two different moments, uh, and and broke really really well. And we made a couple of mistakes um, that led to those to le- that led to those counters, and that's that's life in soccer. Sometimes you sometimes you play really well, make a couple of mistakes, and lose a game. So, I mean, all in all, the th- first two games of the season uh, of this Members Cup, I thought we've played pretty well. We've been a little unlucky, and if we play uh, as a big believer in uh, the way the way things t- typically even out over the course of a season. Mm-hmm. If we continue playing like this, I think the results will come. I hope you're right, because losing three in a row hurts. Yeah. Just candidly. Yeah. Thanks but, for reminding me of but it, that now. But it no no malintent and effort from the guys. No, no. the boys the boys competed really, really yeah. hard. They were given everything they got. Yeah, I'm not I'm not disappointed in the effort. I'm not disappointed in the game plan. I'm not disappointed in anything other than the result. Yeah. And losing sucks. Yeah, it does. I Always like does. Lose. So let's try not to do that anymore. All right. One last thing. Uh, the rivalry, kind of the camaraderie slash rivalry <laughs> between the Northern Guard and the Chattahooligans, the Detroit City front office and the Chattanooga FC front office. Did you notice anything different this time, Matt? Um, so, no, actually, I don't, I, you, might, you might have a point where you're going with that, but I don't think I noticed anything different. I don't think... Like the, I mean, like the hospitality from from the supporters was the same. There, we love you guys. We want the best for you. Like, I hope you lose in the next ninety minutes. Like that was all the same. The, like, good game, everybody. Good game. Let's go out and drink afterwards. That was the same to me. Um, I think I think it's a little bit more. I think things are a little bit more real now that we've announced Nisa together, and. Uh, I think they're they're actually, if anything, they're ginning up, getting ready for, like, multiple league games that matter, and like we are their, I guess, number one rival now, in in the new league we're going to. That's just cool. that's that's the thing I kind of got was that the fact that we announced together, and we'll talk about that in our next segment. We announced going to a new league together on the same day, with what almost amounted to joint press releases. I felt like that ramped it up even another notch. We were always kind of tied together, especially philosophically going forward for soccer in America, but now we're tied together for our next league choice. So. Yeah. I mean, I think the I think there was a banner that the the TFO crew made, uh, the Chattahooligan TFO crew made that was a uh, like half of it was a uh, like this this like cool starball necklace heart thing, and the other half was this. Skull. Uh, it's like skull. Yeah. That. The NGS yeah. skull. And it was like a little friendship. Meshed, meshed together, like a little friendship heart thing. Frenemies. And it said best frenemies forever. Oh, yes. And that's pretty much that's pretty much how it's gonna be now. Yeah, and, and shout out to 
you know, the Northern Guard who have supported us, you know, from the beginning. They've supported us and our our hope to stay on top of our game and to progress just like they do. I mean, it's it's not a rivalry except for those 90 minutes. And yeah. that's really, really cool to see, and I hope it continues. And uh, I'll add one last thing to that. Isn't that the uh, largest, um, or like, what am I trying to say? They have more Chattanooga football club owners in Detroit. They're the second most, right? Yeah, to outside of Chattanooga. My understanding is outside of Chattanooga, Detroit, Canada is the biggest set of supporters, owners. I think you forgot Ontario club. between Detroit and Canada. Detroit, Ontario, Canada. Isn't Detroit just a province of Canada? Itself. Yeah. Fort, Fort Detroit, Ontario, Canada. Yeah, it sounds right. Cool. All right. Well, with that, let's move on to our next segment. So there's something that I'm really excited about, I think everybody's really excited about, and that is the announcement of what, Breezy? The National Independent Soccer League. But what about the National Independent Soccer League, Matthew? Well, first off, it's called the National Independent Soccer Association. Oh, I already messed it up. Oh, I already (laughs) messed it up. I'm not going to cut this and leave it in the podcast. That's fine. I'm not the only one that looks like an idiot. Every now and then, you're really not an idiot. Yeah, so what uh, what is it about NISA that we should be concerned with? Well, I don't know if concern's the right word. Uh, guys, we're going pro. Like, what? We're, we are actually, finally, it's happened, we're going professional. And not just professional, fully sanctioned professional. Yeah. It's wild. So, for those who don't know, we'll, we'll get a little serious here for a minute, uh, NISA, the National Independent Soccer Association, what is it? So, uh, Let's let's talk a little bit about the history of NISA. Uh, in 2017, uh, soccer legend in this country, Peter Wilt, uh, came up with the concept for NISA to be this association, really this league, of uh, that would would provide a, a bridge the gap for independent clubs like CFC, like Detroit, uh, between. The NASL, which was second division league at the time, and the NPSL in the fourth division. Right. And the idea was that we'd go through the existing uh, U.S. soccer structure for professional leagues to uh, have a have a kind of a mid ground, so that I mean, like at the at the time in 2017, the Cosmos were spending boatloads of money, Miami FC were spending boatloads of money on teams, and there was some hesitancy about some of these new kind of startup NPSL teams joining in into the NASL. Um, and, and so the idea was take a stepping stone up, and then from there, uh, once the NASL grew a little bit more, once NISA grew as a third division league, you could start looking at promotion and relegation, uh, also figure out the fourth division concept for ultimately bridging that gap. Maybe an extended season. All of a sudden, you have essentially three tiers. Yeah, that was the idea. And three tiers of independent soccer below MLS that were theoretically not beholden to MLS in right. case MLS, which is likely to stay this way, stays a closed league. Right. Exactly. And uh, Chattanooga FC was announced uh, in, I believe, in August of 2017 as one of the eight. Interested original like uh, interested teams in NISA. One of the f- founding members, basically. Founding members, something like that. There were eight of us. 
Uh, a couple months later, uh, NISA announced that three teams had been accepted. Chattanooga was one of them. Uh, or three markets, or whatever you want to call it, uh, were accepted into this thing. Uh, and that several others were rejected for various reasons. Uh, and several others needed more information. And that's where NISA sat until uh, things kind of fell apart. We backed away from it at some point. Uh, more, maybe more importantly, the NASL fell apart com- entirely thanks to the desanctioning from U.S. soccer. Uh, the NAS- NASL also decided not to reapply for sanctioning at the third division level uh, because they had decided that U.S. soccer had acted uh, improperly, was violating antitrust law. And they lost a bunch of their teams. And they, they lost a bunch of their teams in the process, and, and they decided that, that the lawsuit was the best, the best course of action. Uh, at this same time, uh, Nisa's struggles to get off the ground from there. Uh, a lot of teams that were interested backed away for a little while. Peter Will eventually leaves Nisa and has announced he's going to go to a new venture called Madison Pro Soccer, uh, which ends up becoming Forward Madison, uh, the team of the USL League One team. And... Uh, by the way, he's done a fantastic job with that group. Uh, and then uh, Nisa's kind of left to to Jack Cummings and the Club Nine Sports people. Uh, Jack Cummings tragically passes away. And everyone just assumes at this point, Nisa is dead. No more Nisa. And, then, and so that's when the concept of NPSL Pro started first being uh, sussed to life on Twitter. Hell yeah, brother. MPSL Pro. Hell yeah, brother. So. Brother. Brother. Uh, so that's why we were we were looking so hard at MPSL Pro, because it was legitimately the only other option, uh, because the thought was that a bunch of these you know small independent teams were probably going to need Miami FC, probably going to need New York Cosmos for leverage, and uh, in that they were going to have to have, uh, to, to avoid, because of the lawsuit, avoid a, a sanctioned professional league. Uh, so that's when NPSL Pro started really happening. Nisa's still dead, still dead, still dead. And then all of a sudden, Nisa announces that they're applying for sanctioning. Rises from the depths. Like a phoenix from the ashes. Yeah. So, uh, to make, so like, we're, we're all, we're all completely shocked by this, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. How, how the hell did Nisa do this? I, I thought they were genuinely dead and that the teams that were still not joining semi-officially the MPSL Pro movement were closing up shop or going to USL. Yeah. Was was my assumption. So at, at one point, uh, I mean, like, so one of the NASL expansion teams that never was able to launch, 904 FC in San Diego, mm-hmm. uh, they announced... Uh, that they're they're applying for USL. Oh. Then then this kind of there's this like weird silence period, and then it's kind of made known through some through some leaks and back channels that 904 is not getting in, into not getting into USL yes. at all. Uh, and also fast forward you know a year, and Warren Smith, the one of the ex guys from Sacramento Republic, if I if I remember correctly. And Landon Donovan are going to run a, U- a USL team in San Diego. Uh, I digress a little bit there. After after USL rejects 904 FC in San Diego, Bob, I believe it's Bob Watkins is his name. 
kind of takes on the mantle of okay, well, we got to do something. We want to do we want to do this team, uh, and he just kind of starts talking to people. They get with Club Nine Sports, who are the guys who are running that, and they just start putting together Nisa, and they start putting together Nisa quietly, very much behind the scenes, where at least on the outside, Nisa appeared to be dead, and most fans and even those of us who are way too involved in in what's going on and paying attention didn't know it was going on. And I think that, honestly, that was really smart. They didn't have anybody checking up on them. They didn't have critics. Mm -hmm. And I think they figured out, and they're far from perfect for sure, but I think they figured out better what they wanted to do. Yeah, so they 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 really set a course. They ended up changing a couple of the things uh, from from Peter Wilt's manifesto and how he was originally envisioning the league. Uh, now Nisa, uh, it, it's still a third division pro league. There are no expansion fees. There are no territorial rights. Uh, and what what are territorial rights, Matt? Territorial rights are the concept where if you usually it's because you pay to join a league uh, through an expansion fee, that you are given a certain radius or a certain market. So. Let's say I am a wealthy investor, and I like the Greensboro, North Carolina market. Ooh, which is, I mean, if if you've ever if you've ever Greensboro, been to Greensboro, North Carolina, North Carolina, if you've yeah. ever looked at Greensboro on a map or seen the events they pull in, uh, Greensboro often hosts the ACC basketball tournament, or at least did in the past. It's it's not a small place. Uh, it's I mean it's bigger than Chattanooga, I'm pretty sure, uh, and it's a it's a it's a place where there is no professional soccer. I think they do have a, I don't know, USL League Two team or something that plays in the suburbs. But that's basically it. Uh, and I think they've got a minor league, uh, a G League basketball team. So if I'm if I'm an investor, and I say, you know what, Greensboro is pretty awesome. If I was uh, in a league or, or or attempting to join a league that has territorial rights, I uh, pay expansion fee dollars to the league for the rights to that market. And after I do that, no one else is allowed to come in and compete against me, at least within that league. Well, and you know what that means to me initially? There's no possibility for any sort of promotion and relegation in that market. Because eventually, if you lit, had a giant pyramid of teams and you had another team close to there in a lower league that was really good and got promoted up the ladder, they could never join the same league as you. I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but that's definitely an outcome. Well, I think I think with territory where, where it makes more sense, and I, I think this is where, uh, if, I, if, if I'm allowed a little bit to talk about USL versus NISA, sure. uh, I think this is where the, I mean, the concept behind USL is, is very different than NISA. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, it's... That two guys own the league. Like it's not. Yeah. So let's. The clubs don't own the league. Like two guys own the league. So number one, they want to make some cash, which I, I respect. I'm I'm down with making some cash. But two, the way you do that is you create artificial scarcity in terms of markets, uh, so that people have to pay you money for the right to operate a team. They have. I mean, they have to pay you money. Otherwise, there's nothing else. And so you take the Greensboro market, and if you really suck at it, well, we're going to help you get better because that's yours. You paid for the right for that. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit like, and 
you look at NISA, which is an independent soccer movement, a movement for what people call independent soccer clubs. Yeah. And what that means is you look at somewhere like a Chili's. A Chili's is not an independent restaurant. A Chili's is a, a franchise. franchise. And the USL sells franchises. They sell Chili's. If you want to start an awesome local burger chain or, re- or local neighborhood restaurant and you want to do it your own way, you don't buy a Chili's. If you bought a Chili's, you would need to do it the Chili's way. Serve the Chili's menu, and, and, look like a Chili's. And guess what? If you, if, you sw- if you venture away from the Chili's model, you can't be a Chili's anymore. So okay. the interesting thing is the USL is a home for a certain type of investor. And not all USL investors are bad. A lot of people paint them as bad, but not necessarily all bad. Some of them just don't want to do the work and the innovation that it takes to start their own thing. And that's and, and that's fine. And, and for some of them, uh, and and I, I I will be totally honest. I'm a huge critic of USL, uh, very loud, very public critic of USL, and they deserve everything I say about them. I don't really blame the uh, the franchise uh, owners, franchisees, franchisees, whatever. Uh, I don't I don't I don't really blame them because a lot of them didn't have any other options at the time. True. Uh, or in the case of say Indianapolis Eleven or, uh, or who was the other one that left North Carolina FC Tampa Bay, Tampa left the year before. I'm I'm, I'm thinking like specifically Indy Eleven Ottawa uh, again the year before. Indy Eleven didn't have a choice. Like yeah, they, there was they only were, they were left when they the were NASL going when the NASL down. folded. They weren't going to go down uh, a league. The USL had Division Two sanctioning. There was no Division Three sanctioning for yep. any league. Correct. And they said, well, I guess we'll just join USL where there are regional rivals. But back to the differences in leagues, if, you, if you're a, a startup guy or you're an entrepreneur and you think, hey, I'm really smart. I like problem solving. I want to do this my own way. I can do this better, which a lot of business people are like that. They feel they can do it better. Yeah. You don't want to buy a cookie-cutter franchise. And you definitely don't want to pay millions of dollars up front for a franchise and then millions of dollars every year in order to be given a roadmap and a template. You want to innovate and do your own thing. And what NISA means is that there's a now again, after the NASL left this big open void, there is now a professional league starting next year that allows independent operators who don't want to operate franchises that want to operate their own startup machines, their own little creations, their own teams in their own way, they will do that and they will own the league. This league will not be owned by individual investors. It will not be owned by two guys like USL who own the league and they sell franchises. That's how they make money. This will be owned by the teams, the members. So Chattanooga Football Club and all the other teams will own a portion of the league. They will pay to run the league together and they will operate the league together but they won't be beholden to people outside of the league who would put profits over competition, potentially, or that would have other interests outside of their own interests. Everyone should be, in theory, advocating for their own interests and for the interests of competition and for the interest of the league Mm -hmm. and not the bottom line of the owners of the league, which is a potential pitfall of a league like USL. I don't know the specifics on whether that's happening or not, but one could see where that could happen. I will, I will mention two points here specifically. Uh, Chattanooga FC is joining NISA f- starting in the spring of 2020, and we can talk about more of that in a second. Um, but the league is starting 
just in a, in a few weeks now uh, with their fall competition. Uh, and, and secondly, I think there's also a critical point in the, in the USL versus NASL soccer wars. The NASL was also a kind of franchise model. Uh, and it's also one of the reasons why I think CFC was reluctant to join it. It was, it was I, in, in, in theory, it was supposed to be a better, more independent soccer movement. Mm-hmm. But independent soccer might end up benefiting in the long run from the NASL going away and NISA rising from the ashes. It's possible. I don't know that I'm feeling quite as... I think, we're t- I think no matter what, it's taking the long way around. Uh, but I think, I think NISA, what NISA's trying to do is more, quote-unquote, pure independent soccer than what the NASL ever was. Right. I hope that's the case. I mean, I hope that's the reality is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I guess me too. <laughs> so let's pull ourselves out of the weeds here for a second, um, and we'll definitely go back into the weeds. Listeners who have been with us this far thus far and, and are still with us, this is only going to get nerdier. Um, Hence why I haven't really spoken yet. Because you guys know everything and I don't. You're doing Nerds great, Producer Jay. world unite. But I am learning and I'm intently listening. If you have questions, Producer Jay, please ask them because... I have one coming up. I have one coming up. Honestly, cool. Producer Jay, did you just start a podcast just so you could learn? Uh, I knew you two guys and I figured it would work. So I was like, screw it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the announcement last week. Um, the announcement came out on Wednesday or Thursday? Thursday. So Thursday. on Thursday, we got an announcement. Around 10 a.m. was the, the uh, scheduled time, and we got a little delay there. And then Nisa released uh, a press release with three teams on that press release. It was a kind of a, a joint press release with the league, and it said that the, the Chattanooga Football Club, the Detroit City Football Club, and the Oakland Roots were all joining Nisa together in the now, spring. Now, some of you might be had might have had this thought on Thursday. I thought Oakland Roots was already in Nisa uh, because there was that big that big hoopla about them pulling out of the NPSL Founders Cup as it was known at the time. Yeah. Uh, Oakland Roots left the Founders Cup and announced their intent to join Nisa and even appear on the Nisa schedule, although I think just in terms of friendlies. Uh, but they had not actually officially been accepted into the league yet until Thursday's announce- announcement. So I have a question for you, Matt, and I have some feelings on this answer, but I think we probably look at this the same way, though I don't know if we've actually talked about this off air. The fact that CFC, Detroit City, and the Oakland Roots announced together, what is that? what are your initial reactions to that? Why do you think they did that? Uh, so I, I'm gonna, well, I'll say two things. Number one, I think, uh, and it, it, it's kind of been hinted in the past and I think it was always likely to happen. Chattanooga FC and Detroit city FC are intrinsically linked, like at the hip, even at the heart, like, uh, not just ideologically, but also maybe physically. Yeah. <laughs> like we're the two, two like similar like-minded clubs. Uh, one that was born out of uh, Detroit City. Tr- Detroit City FC is literally born out of CFC. Uh, yeah, they have they have the genesis of 
being like, hey, you guys seem to be doing a really cool thing down there. How's that going for you? Yeah. Oh, and, and let it's... us show you exactly what we're doing. <laughs> and then 10 years later, or I guess eight years later for them, 11 for us, we're, it's the two best stories in lower division soccer. Yeah. And, and honestly, we're, I'm only saying that, that we basically birthed them because we were first. It, if they were first, they would have probably birthed us. Uh, that's kind of how, that's kind of how our club works. That's kind of how their club works. Uh, when you find, when you find really good people that want to, uh, want to help others make soccer awesome in their communities, create community clubs and atmospheres and, and, and foster really good environments, uh, where it's more than just about soccer, it's about it's about the people in the communities. These folks are, are more than willing to take time out of their day to uh, open the books, to share some best practices, to give you ideas. Uh, not a, you know, this is how you do this. This is how you do this. This is how you do this. By the way, you're going to use all of these people as your vendors uh, to help you know put put this nice little nice little soccer club in a little box. And sell it to you. Like we wanna we wanna share some of our best practices and then let you figure out what's what's uniquely Tulsa, what's uniquely Little Rock, what's uniquely Detroit, so that you can create an authentic atmosphere, an authentic club that reflects your community. So the fact that they announced together, what do you think that means for Nisa? Uh so adding I'm gonna add in Oakland Roots here because I think Oakland Roots is also similar to the way Detroit and Chattanooga are. Uh, and, and I think ha- had they not just started, they would have been probably with us for, you know, all of time. Uh, kind of like how Detroit and Chattanooga are. Uh, they're, they're kind of the same mindset and mold. However, thinking strategically for a second, I think Oakland was less about like-minded community club and more about timing. If Nisa announces Oakland two days, two weeks before Chattanooga FC in Detroit, then like those announcements together are awesome. Oakland, Chattanooga, and Detroit announcing on the same day at the same time, coordinated, I think shows that not, not that Nisa has arrived because they were already they were already here. They have Miami FC already. But they mean business, and they're the home of independent soccer in this country. And I think it's the wave where everyone, some of the outsiders, some of the critics, some people who wanted to work but were a little bit skeptical to say, okay, this thing, this thing's got a shot. Like, this thing might, might actually work. It's definitely, I think, a statement of intent, both from the league and from those three teams. What What's... What's the end game of the intent? To say this is the home for independent soccer. Prior to now, over the past, let's call it six months, we've had two more or less competing leagues. One non-sanctioned, one sanctioned in the um, affectionately dubbed MPSL Pro and NISA. And for a while, it looked like NISA was dead and the MPSL Pro was where they needed to go. However, there were still holdouts around NISA. And there were still holdouts um, uh, from MPSL Pro for good reason and for the thing that actually ended up keeping MPSL Pro forever getting off the ground, which was liability insurance. Right. And because we, we can't have pro players play with amateur players because that never happens in American or world soccer ever. Yeah, definitely not in the Open Cup. Yeah, never. I mean, But the way I look never. at it is you had two competing leagues who were 
going to compete as the the preeminent home for independent soccer in this country, and that was going to be a problem because two leagues competing means we would independent soccer would be cannibalizing itself right. and would be working against itself. There are basically two ways of doing things. There are two modes of thought, USL or independent. And if you subscribe to the USL model or you subscribe to the independent model, you're competing against one another. If two independent leagues are competing against one another, it is hurtful for the independent cause if you believe in the independent cause. Right. So this is a statement of intent, in my opinion, from both the league, especially because they were always trying to be first and biggest, but especially from these three teams saying, we are going together, we are entering together, we are putting our eggs in this basket, when all three of those teams previously had their basket, their eggs in the basket of MPSL Pro, and they are saying this is now the home for independent soccer, and everyone else who can should join because there's no one left in MPSL Pro with any real clout outside of the New York Cosmos. And they've and, got their own, and they've got their own problems right now. And what what independent soccer needs is one strong league, with hopefully the double the teams. You know, with the ten teams in NISA and the ten teams for MPSL Pro, or however many you think that there were trying to get in. If you can't get that many, you want fifteen total. You don't want two competing leagues. To the to some of the detractors, uh, especially who were who were big on pumping MPSL Pro, and I, again, I was one of them. Uh, I would I would just say yes, the professional league standards kind of suck. Like I get it. Like it it it's it's dumb. It's awful. And I hope the lawsuit's successful, although there's that ancient saying, you know, what, be careful for what you wish for. Yes. Uh, like, the, the, PLS, the PLS is awful. But we, we tried to go outside the mold. Well, first off, there, there was this Division Zero idea, which was insane. Then we were like, let's go get sanctioning insurance through an affiliate organization, which was something I was like, hey, we should probably do this. Uh, we tried that. It's failed. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's not going anywhere. So there's only one thing left to do, and that's to survive. That's to just, you know, you don't, you don't, sometimes you don't get 100% of what you want. But maybe 80 is good enough, at least for right now. And if we can, if we can help reform, uh, if, we can, <laughs> if we can help reform the U.S. Soccer Federation, at least on the professional league side, from the inside, then that might be the most effective way. And maybe uh, now that this thing exists and now that this thing has 12, maybe 13 teams in it starting in the spring and hopefully more when we go to the fall season, uh, maybe U.S. soccer will take it a little bit more seriously uh, and try to you know, help in some way make sure this thing uh, is going to thrive. So speaking of the fall and spring seasons, the calendar as it currently sits in American soccer works in a couple different ways. If you play in USL or MLS, you start early in the spring and you end late in the fall, correct? Yeah, so uh, traditionally USL and MLS has started in March and wrapped up in October of the re in regular season. Both of those leagues would have some version of playoffs uh, that would end in either no November in the case of USL, uh, even early December in the case of MLS. And the PDL and the NPSL, with, with whom we are very familiar, especially the NPSL, 
usually play from late May to early August at the at its longest in our area of the country. So it's basically a summer league when, mostly for college players who aren't in college during the summer. Minus the friendlies we would randomly play before then. Right, right. which is an expansion on the NPSO regular season. And, which didn't, and, and we're spoiled in a way. We're absolutely spoiled. Um, so looking forward to NISA, how do we expect that the seasons will look? So it, I, I'll be the first to say that it's very, very important to know that this is a gross estimation. I actually have no idea. Um, but you're you. Well, well I, I, so totally I, I, we have an idea. Yeah. Uh, in term, and the exact parts may be a little, a little different. You yeah. liar. We expect, uh, so the, the, the NISA fall season, uh, the current fall season, the one we're not participating in, is going to start in a few weeks. Uh, yes. early, early September, maybe August 31st, something like that. And it's going to run until uh, I think it's the end of October. Uh, so that's n- not very long. And it's very similar to the Members' Cup. Correct. It's, it's a series of friendlies, more or less. If you, ask my, ask. if you ask my honest opinion, they got sanctioning and they need to play some games, even if it's like this like, smattering of you know nothing. I mean, it, some teams are playing like four games. Some teams are playing eight games. And they who, need to prove. The they need to prove work. to potential investors yeah. and and other teams that hey, we exist. We've like, got we, games we, going on. We 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 weren't kidding about playing you soccer. Should, like, you let's should go play some soccer. Exactly. You should join us for the next round of games. It's a new league, so like you're obviously going to have kinks you need to work out at the beginning. So do it in a trial run before yeah, you actually basically. launch a professional. So looking forward to the spring when we join. There are uh, as as it stands right now, there are 13 teams in. Uh, in Nisa slated for the spring. Obviously, Oakland Roots, Detroit, and Chattanooga all have to be officially approved by U.S. Soccer. We don't anticipate any issues with that, but uh, we have to go through that process, and it's and it's an important one to make sure we're complying with the professional league standards and whatever. And I think some of those, it's been reported that some of those things are undergoing, like some of those checks and, and applications have already been filed and yes. started. Yes. And so it while it is not Nothing is certain. It's more or less expected to be a formality. Yes. For all three of the teams that were announced last week in Oakland, Chattanooga, and Detroit. Correct. So we're at 13. Uh, there has been enough. There has been enough talk and uh, mostly rumorless reporting, uh, but I consider it to be from pretty reliable sources that one of those teams may not be ready for the spring, uh, which. I wouldn't honestly be mad about because playing with an even number, I think, is better than playing with an odd number. Now, what's the number at currently? It's 13. 13. So we play, play with 12 teams in the spring. Uh, I don't know how they're going to do their competition structure. I don't know if, they, if they're going to say, let's play just, you know, everyone plays each other once and it's 11 games, or if they, they try to do a, an actual full season uh, and try to take it out to, to 16, 17 games. I don't know what they have in mind. I think that's going to be officially decided at the uh, at the next NISA Board of Governors owners meeting uh, sure. in, in a few months. If if they run it like the NASL, uh, and several several people at the NISA League office are former NASL employees, uh, then I suspect it'll be uh, once the thing fully gets going, 16, 17, 18 weeks or so, in a in, in each segmented campaign. So we might be looking at March through May 
if you want to get uh, if you want to get real interesting on in terms of uh, you know the European calendars roughly roughly uh, early August through late May. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of weather, especially thinking about the southeast, uh, I would try to avoid July just a hundred percent. I would try to avoid as much of August as you can. And if that means play a little bit further into June, I would do that. Yeah. Not a lot further into June, but a little bit. Uh, and then, and then it's just the question of how, how long's the winter break. So in the, in this first season, they're, they're shutting off in October. Uh, they don't even have some of the Northeastern teams playing uh, outside of the Philadelphia Fury. But I would, I would, I envision a league that plays, say the last two ish weeks of August. Uh, and, and, oh, I should also add before I start to saying this, that the league is going to be run on a fall spring calendar. More, oh, interesting. More, more European, uh, or, or more the FIFA calendar than say MLS and USL. So which you're is, saying which is different. There's, there's, what, there's going to be a reason to wear my CFC scarf instead yes. of yes. sweating into it. Yes, that's correct. And so, and what is the significance of going fall to spring? Well, uh, one of the stated reasons for Nisa doing this is they want to be more active on the uh, on the international transfer market. The summer window is when things happen, uh, especially in terms of players going to Europe, because most most European clubs have more resources in the summer than they do in their winter window. They also play their seasons August through May. So the best time to retool your squad is in the off season. So the best thing to do is match them. So the best thing to do for calendar. is to match them on the calendar, and then deal with the ramifications on the domestic side, just how they come in, and with their desire, Nisa's desire to have a, a summer break and a winter break. You're, you're effectively playing full season, um, but with like two solid breaks in there. So it gives you time for for player windows. So you'll be able to participate in the. Uh, winter window, when the most when, when the majority of American soccer has all their all their moves happen, and and the domestic or the the, inter, the international the European window in the I summer. I love that. So I, I don't. So there, there there are a couple questions still outstanding. When does the league start? When does it end for each season? How long is that winter break? Is this spring an official competition, or is it again another set of friendlies? Uh, it's an official competition. It's official. And, and the reason I know that is because Nisa has said that uh, they're going to have the winner of their fall, I believe it's the Nisa Challenge Cup, which I think puts the first two teams ever in Nisa. I don't think they've yeah. said that out loud, but it's 904 FC and I think California United Strikers. Pretty sure it's the first two teams ever in Nisa. The winner of that game gets... Uh, I'm pretty sure it gets a, an automatic spot in the playoffs in, uh, in, in after the spring season. So, so they'll, play, they'll potentially play a round of playoffs after the spring season to have a spring champion. Yeah, so if they follow the NASL model, there's going to be a fall winner who gets an automatic spot in the playoffs. There will be a spring winner. They'll, they'll reset the points table. There will be a spring table winner, and that, per, that team gets an automatic spot in the playoffs. And then those two are seeded. Those will be the two like seeded teams, one and two. Uh, and and whoever has the best record cumulatively begins with the top overall seed. 
and then obviously he didn't have the best record becomes the number two seed. And then the next two teams with the best cumulative points total from the two from, segments from, from the uh, two seasons, no, from, basically from the two seasons combined the spring and the fall season become the three and the four seeds. Wow. And that even if they, even if they happen to beat one of the seeded size on total points, they still are the three and the four. They don't overtake a seed line because you get rewarded for winning the fall or the spring title. That's cool. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's what the it's what the the That's second the version it's what the second version of the NASL did. Uh, some people yeah. hate it. Some people I like actu- it. I actually don't like it. Yeah. So I I kind of like it. Breezy doesn't like it very much. It's intriguing. Much. I don't I actually don't know how it's, I feel it's, about it's it. It's different. Yeah. But with by only having four teams in the playoff, here's what I like about it: by only having four teams in the playoffs. It rewards the regular season. Yes. It rewards winning a, some version, uh, some you know league title, even if it is a half season. Yeah. Uh, and the total amount of season takes only two extra weeks, so you can play more regular season games where everyone gets to play, and then you have two weeks added on. Whereas in the old version of MLS's playoffs, and I can talk about that all structure changing for next year. If we really want to go into that, it would no, sometimes take it would sometimes takes took two months, and even USL's playoffs take like, you know four, four or five weeks or so. So it's a shortened playoff period. It rewards regular season success, but you still ultimately have a playoff champion. Interesting. I'm again on its face. I'm not a big fan, but I guess maybe I'll try to withhold judgment until I see it. I, I am excited about the idea of following the international calendar. I think that's interesting. Yes. And I hope that leads to more selling of players, more player movement. Which um, could help, you know, help with team budgets. Observation of FIFA windows, even if there aren't likely to be many players yet playing in, you know, FIFA-sanctioned games for their national teams. Potentially, if done right, you could have younger players that might be playing in the U-20 World Cup or the U-17 World Cup or or potential training camps that may or may not surround international windows. So it might not matter, but at least if you have FIFA dates being observed and national teams meeting up around those FIFA dates, you don't have players being kept out of it. I would, and you I don't would have say, game, you don't have people picking between going to their national team game. Yeah. Myself selfishly included. I like to go to see the U S play. I don't want to have to pick between watching CFC play and the U S. So I hope wow, that they will. Point. I hope that they will observe FIFA international dates. They probably won't. As, Most as leagues a, don't. As but. a Division Three league, I would say it makes no sense to uh, observe, to fully observe national team windows, uh, at least during the season itself. I think in the summer it makes sense, although if if uh, NISA extends a little bit into June, that might get interesting. Uh, but there's, I'm, I'm sure these are questions that the, uh, the NISA clubs, the Board of Governors, uh, and and those actually at NISA themselves uh, who have some experience with this. I imagine those are conversations they're going to have. If By the way, if you guys are listening, hit me up. I'm happy to talk through some things with you guys. Uh, I'm not just doing this because I want to talk. Like I actually want to make this thing good. We're a part of it now. I'd really like to make it good. And And to be clear, I don't think we're going to take international breaks off, but I'm hoping. Because it's most second and third divisions don't. Um, so that kind of wraps up the calendar portion. Um, let's talk a little bit more about what this means for CFC and then kind of maybe close this up so we don't go too long for our listeners. So uh, I'll start with a couple 
things that, that I think that we would probably agree and we can expound on them. And then, um, yeah, so marketing uh, budget increases. I'll leave that one to you. Uh, player salary budgets. Uh, we're going to a professional league, a fully professional sanctioned league. And what that means is we will no longer have amateur players. We will no longer have guys that are registered as amateurs or that are paid to coach in the academy, and that's their only you know method of payment, their only mode of payment. We will have guys that are able to get paid for playing soccer. We'll have guys that can be on P1 visas. That's professional soccer playing visas. They will be able to be sports you know, stars, and legally so. They won't have to be on student visas or tourist visas for only three months. And that changes things a lot. Yeah, I heard Olivier say one time, it'd be really easy to put a football team together if it wasn't for immigration issues. Yeah, and, and what gets interesting about being in a professionally sanctioned league is you need salaries, but you also need visas. And being a sanctioned league allows for visas and allows for salaries. It'll probably allow for seven foreign players, and a foreign player is anyone who does not have a green card, citizenship, or some sort of permanent resident status. U.S. passport of some kind. Yeah, U.S. passport or, for all intents and purposes, green card and U.S. passport. Um, and it's usually seven. We, I think that's the what the NASL had, and that's what we've heard rumors on how many international spots. And then everyone else on that roster will have to be either green card holders or American passport holders and let's or also, refugee status or, or something similar that is a permanent residence. Let's status. also mm-hmm. add that uh, with NISA not having any Canadian teams, uh, which is something relatively new uh, in American sports, not having Canadian teams thanks to uh, the formation of the Canadian Premier League. Shout out Halifax Wonders. Uh, no Canadian players are going to count as domestics. Like they did in USL and in the NASL yeah. previously. Yeah. So so that's bottom line, that in itself is gonna be a bit of a challenge for the coaching staff in the front office to to, you know, put together a team. Like things are gonna be a little bit different. And these uh, are very similar rules, not exactly the same. We don't have to go into the differences right now, but very similar rules to USL. And what that means is competition for US based, US passport holders and permanent resident players. Is going to increase. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it... Around the country. There are 12 new teams that are going to have to abide by these rules. They're going to have to have a majority... In NISA. A majority American, quote-unquote, roster. And, and that also does not count uh, any new teams joining in, uh, in in any other leagues like USL. We I think there are going to be a couple more teams in USL League One. There might be one more in the championship. There's going to be a new MLS team next year uh all of these all of these things i mean there's only a finite finite amount of resources and a finite number if if we can call soccer players resources yes uh there's there's only so many of them uh now the good thing in american soccer is that (laughs) american soccer is notorious for uh seeing an actually really really good player and then just looking past them for whatever their designated mold of player is we know there are a lot of players out there we know there are a lot of undiscovered players out there and there are a lot of players that just need a chance. So we're going to be able to find players, but with so many other teams out there looking for players and looking for those untapped players, you know, we're going to have to be, we're going to have to be competitive uh, in terms of what we can offer compensation-wise. Does that mean we need a $2 million roster like we're Miami FC? No, I don't think we're ever going to 
not not in the foreseeable future have have a payroll like that. Uh, we we offer as a part of the compensation package already. We offer housing, that's really a, really nice housing. That's a that's a big deal. Like that's good. Uh, but you know, like our our guys get get you know like food and like living stipends basically. Like they already get that. Uh, but we're going to a professional league. That's no longer going to be good enough. And and I don't know I don't know what the numbers are. It's not really my place. I guess it is my place as I'm an owner. Uh, hey But that's something that's something we got to talk about. We got to figure out what's what's the best place for us in the uh, in in the overall space. Uh, I mean, we're we're a relatively small market team. We're a fan owned team. So like there, there's there are these factors that that are going to pile in. Uh, and and maybe the team looks a little bit like Chattanooga, and we don't have the biggest payroll in the league. But we work really really hard. We care a lot about for the city, uh, and maybe uh, maybe a lot of those players have been a little bit overlooked in their in their careers. Uh, kind of like how Chattanooga's been a little bit overlooked around the country, especially when you compare us to say Atlanta or uh, or Nashville. Uh, but yeah, bottom line, the payroll is going to increase. We're going to have more games to uh, to hopefully pay for that and make things sustainable, and so we can keep doing this for for another ninety years. Uh, but yeah, that, I guess I guess that's that's that one. Yeah, we have to have real compensation, yeah, and we have to have competitive compensation because it's only going to get harder to find players. And we'll move off this topic in just a second. But one last thing for those who didn't know, the NPSL has no roster rules. We can have as many foreign or American or whatever. There's, there's we no, can literally do what we want. We can literally yeah. do whatever we want, and, and the players are all amateur, so we are a preeminent destination for amateur players. We yeah. are, I would argue, the preeminent destination for amateur players, and while some of those things do carry over to the professional game, and many players will want to be here because of it, the fact that it's a beautiful city, it's a great fan culture, it's well-supported, it's a cheap cost of living. It's great facilities and a good level of play on the field. We're still going to have to pay them. Our advantages change and differ a little bit as we move up, and money's going to matter more. And that makes me nervous, but excited. But and, it makes and, me nervous. And, 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 well, if you think about if you think about the international player restrictions, we're also going to be you know a, a lot of our players in the past, whether they were college or not, especially the ones that are out of college, a lot of those guys have had you know, pro looks at, at other teams, like actual pro clubs. And in, in the case where the ones that sometimes came to us, those guys are good players. They belong on some of these teams. They are better than the players on some of these teams. Those teams ran up to the international player limits and, and just couldn't have a spot for them or didn't want to make a spot for them. And we've used that to our advantage. Uh, and these are awesome guys. And, and really good soccer players, and I think they prove that every single night they take the field for us. Uh, but as we as we compete in the transfer market for for more domestic based players, uh, who who maybe I don't want to I don't want to go stereotyping and generalizing, but I'm about to who maybe aren't aren't as a whole as good as the level of players we found in the past. That means you have to equalize it out by paying by them. paying more to get better players than we currently have, or just as good. And and as an owner, and as someone who's concerned about the stability and the sustainability of Chattanooga Football Club, 
it's an interesting challenge and it's something that should make everyone uh, not scared, but excited and interested and potentially a little bit nervous because it's going to be a lot different. Yeah. Different does not mean bad. Yeah. Different is just different. Sure. Well, you mentioned the difference um, with like regulations and roster and, and international players and stuff like that from the NPSL and NISA. What are the chances that you think, <clears throat> and I've just seen multiple people mention this on Twitter, and I got the idea just by seeing it, but what do you think the chances are that CFC could have an NPSL squad and a NISA squad? You mean like a, a reserve team in the NPSL like type a, of thing? Like a, you, or like, yeah, like a college team, team for, for academy guys and, yeah. and guys still in college that we're looking at for, yeah. for future seasons. Um, I'll say first... That I, I would love I would love for it to happen. I think it's a great move. Uh, I think it would benefit the first team a lot, and and I think it's something that needs to be seriously considered. Do I? How do I put this? Do I expect to see it next summer? Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, it's a massive layer of complexity because currently we compete in the MPSL, and it takes a lot of resources, especially to do so at a high level. It's a lot of resources from game day operations, from where they play, buses to games, food, lodging, stadium. all of those things are massive. And adding that, which we they would have to do still at a pretty high level, to an entirely new, brand new team that is playing a professional year-long calendar, it just seems to me like it's probably too much for year one of NISA. Yeah. But in the medium term, in the maybe three years from now, I expect that we will see some sort of reserve team. I think there's several things ahead. I hope, I mean, this is both hope and expect. Um, maybe it's more hope than expect, but we'll find out. Uh, I think we need a women's team. We need our women's team back up on its feet. Yeah, They've been on hi- hiatus for a year after losing their general manager right before the season would have started, or at least the prep- preparations would have been in, uh, in full, and they weren't able to replace her in time to make a, a good run at it. And so they need to get a women's team up off the ground. I, I think that's a priority and I, over an NPS. And, and I agree because I think you need to have two first Reserve. teams. You need to have a, a men's first team and a women's first team. Mm-hmm. We have a, a, a boys' academy and a girls' academy. And the girls' academy deserves a team of a high-level team to aspire to, a group yeah. of ladies to watch play and to be inspired by and to hopefully one day arrive at that level and to have an outlet to play at a high level what, what kind of example would it set if really talented girls from Chattanooga went on to play high-level soccer somewhere else because there was no team in Chattanooga? That, in my mind, is unacceptable in the medium to long term. And, and honestly, starting next year, it's unacceptable. So my hope is and my, and my I think expectation is they will work very hard on relaunching the women's team. And then launching a U23 team is important, but doing a good job on the men's first team will be, of course, more important. So yeah. I would foresee a men's first team, a women's first team being the two priorities, and then a U23 team or something of that nature down the line becoming a priority after those two are stable and economies of scale can be used to uh, make it the U23 team easier and better and and a, and a, a much less complicating and risky um project makes it's in theory immediately it sounds incredible but you're right there is priority to be taken over now yeah, let me add let me add something here that might be interesting we talked about the calendar a lot when it comes to nisa and the first the first team for the men mm. 
all of a sudden there's there's this break. Summer. There's this summer break yeah. where the WPSL season is, where and the NPSL yeah. season is. So I think I, I think there's a way to, to way to do both of those, filling also a block in the calendar uh for for folks that maybe can't make as many games in the fall or the spring, uh, so that they can still get and you know they, they can still get Chattanooga FC. Or if you're like us, it's just another game to get. Or, or you just or you just go. <laughs> and ideally, in 2020, you have that break, that kind of sort of off season where you launch the women's team. I mean, the women's team will take a lot of preparation leading into it, but where you can focus more resources from the men's side to help. And then in 2021, maybe you see the first, let's call it a preseason tryout, where you have a bunch of post college guys or guys that are entering their last year of college that could play an MPSL season around the time that CFC is not playing very much and potentially focus some of the resources on that team so that you have a women's team and an MPSL team playing in the summer and it doesn't overlap as much with the men's first team, thereby not stretching all of the front office resources yeah. too far. And ideally, you add if you add them one at a time, you can bring on, I'm, I'm guessing there would probably be one dedicated person to the women's team, uh, at least at the start, probably yeah. one dedicated person outside of what we have already that's more for dedicated the U23 for the team. U23 team. And so you can bring on those positions one at a time, try to make it a little bit more of a sustainable approach. And then use your current front office assets and, and, and future front office assets to make things better. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, that all sounds like a dream come true. Let's let's go back to to something we, we touched on right before uh, and and go into that. Okay. I think... I think one of the other big important things that we need to see as we move towards uh, and, and arrive at, I can finally say that now, arrive at a professional team is I think we got to improve, uh, improve and, and expand on the marketing we've done in the past. Uh, I agree. Now, I mean, granted, in the, in the NPSL, sometimes some teams, you know, they market to their, to their communities uh, and some teams just don't don't say anything. Some teams in NISA don't say anything at all. I'm looking at you, Atlanta. Um, I think I think we've done for for our level for for where we are. We've done a good job on the marketing front. Yeah. I think if we continue at that same at that same level, I think we will only be doing okay at a professional level. Honestly, I'm not even sure we'll be doing okay at a professional level because there's, I believe, and this is not a slight at what we're currently doing because I think while sometimes I do complain that we're not doing enough, we do a very good job for an MPSL team. Yeah. yeah. What is very good for an MPSL team and what is acceptable for a pro team, I believe there is a massive difference between those two. Oh, yeah. And I think even to be an acceptable do an acceptable level of advertising, acceptably good job as a pro team, we would need to up our advertising game significantly, our marketing, not just advertising. Yeah. Whether that's social media, radio, TV, um, billboards, whatever. There, We do a little bit of all of that, but I believe if you're going to compete with the NCAA college football machine, if you're going to compete in the, in the heart of football country with the NFL, if you're going to compete with, uh, frankly, in our town, the local college football team, you're going to have to be out in front of people regularly. You're going to have to be in front of people's eyes 
and in their consciousnesses regularly. And you're going to have to make new fans throughout the year. Yeah. And you're going to have to make sure sponsors are getting their return on investment by having good attendances all year round. And we don't yet know what early spring attendances will look like. We don't know what late fall attendances will look like. We only know what random friendlies that have some, some of them have been very well attended and some of them have been sparsely attended. We only know what those show us and we know what our summer seasons show us. And I think that as we make the step forward in, in other areas and paying our players in having a, an even more professional environment, even though to be fair, CFC runs itself like a professional club. We have to make sure things like marketing don't get left behind. Yeah. I I think you mentioned TV for a second. I would love, I would love a world where I can turn on a soccer game. I don't care if it's the Bundesliga or it's the English premier league, or (laughs) I don't even care if it's MLS or, or, um, or, or a, a Liga MX game on, on Spanish language TV. I want, a, I want a world where I can turn on a soccer game in the Chattanooga market and before, after, and at halftime, I want to see a commercial for CFC. Yeah. Whether it's the schedule, buy season tickets, the jersey reveal parties coming up, the first game, whatever it is. I want to see us anywhere, anywhere, so- people, human beings that have a passing remote interest in soccer or doing cool things are. Because it's incredible the amount of people you meet who are like, oh, did we play soccer here? Or, oh, CFC, I've heard of them, I think. Like, it's amazing how many people don't really know about CFC and haven't been to many games. And most of the people... Or haven't been to any games. Most of the yeah. people who, who say, oh, like, yeah, they're a local team, but I support, you know, Manchester United, who, you know, I don't really know based on... Based on the way Man United plays, I'm Sorry. not really sure if there's any much of a difference. Been waiting to drop that. <laughs> or, you know, or, or, or some other English team. There, there's some Arsenal fans in town. There's some Liverpool fans in town. They're all crazy people, and I don't understand how they live their lives. There's some Tottenham fans in town, like me, and, yeah, we're crazy people who don't know, I don't know how we're living our lives that me included there. You can like teams in other countries. You can think that the soccer in other countries is better but still have a connection to a local team. And with Chattanooga Football Club going pro, a lot of folks who I ran into that said, well, I don't want to watch amateurs, amateur soccer, you're not going to get everyone, of course. No. There are many people who don't go to MLS games who are big soccer fans. But there's a big swath of people who exist around the Chattanooga market who have not ever embraced CFC, have never been to a game, that we now have a chance to get back and say, hey, we're back in your consciousness. Pay attention because we're going pro. Yeah. And I think I think there's also a tremendous advantage and I think beyond a shadow of a doubt every single American soccer team does a poor job at this. And they should do a better job because it's important. Go on. And and we've we've done advertising in these markets specifically for certain games and and maybe a little bit broadly, but I want to see it also stepped up to the point where it start, starts making a difference. I want to see are the Hispanic population who loves soccer, first off, uh, who by and large have teams uh, either from where they're from or where their family's from. And I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't single out just the, the Hispanic population because they're, I mean, Chenig is a low-key, a pretty awesome immigrant town. And there are people from all over the place that, that live here, including a, a large refugee community from various parts of the world. 
we should be out there talking to them as well. Yes, you can have your, the team where you're from or where your family's from. That's great. But you now have a professional soccer team. Chattanooga's professional soccer team. Chattanooga's professional soccer team in your city that plays every weekend, and it happens right now today. And I think if we start talking to them, if we start talking to them in their, uh, in their individual languages, if their first language is not English, I think we can start to see, number one, more people. Number two, a little bit more of a diverse uh, crowd or audience at games. And number three, I think we can uh, improve on one of the things that CFC was founded to do, which was to essentially become a community vehicle, a community pillar, a community institution, where people of all walks of life, of different faith backgrounds, uh, different community backgrounds, ethnicities, uh, nations of origin, can come together through a common cause for a common purpose as a community. And that community can be made better. Right. I agree. I agree with all of that. And I hope that, you know, I, th I think there's a lot of those projects that are, they're definitely kicking around. They're smart folks. And I hope that they implement all of them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's only one, uh, there's, a, I'm, I'm going to make one more point here and then, and then I'm going to ask a question. Uh, maybe maybe to both of you. Uh, there's there's one major thing that's going to be different, uh, and and it might take an, an entire year or so to really have it play out. Uh, we've come accustomed to a season that starts in May, maybe a couple friendlies in the spring, ends in if we're lucky, beginning of August. If we're not lucky, in July. We all get sad. Uh, we we take a few breaks or take a few weeks, month of a, as a break. We start in around November advertising season tickets, the season ticket jersey, uh, right around for the holiday rush for shopping. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we do a couple big pushes. You know, we have a couple games. We drop the season ticket jersey, in, or the season ticket, the, the, uh, the actual jersey itself in, in April or so. We start playing soccer in May again. That's the calendar of CFC. It's been that way for, for years it, now. Is it May yet? That's what everybody used to always say. Right. Is it May, is it yet? May yet? I mean, now... It, Hashtag is it May yet? Now, is it is it Saturday yet? Because we literally play in on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, by the oh. way, if you're listening, Michigan Stars, CFC, Saturday night, 7.30, Finley Stadium. Don't miss it. Oh, the pressure's on to edit this and get it out now. So what's your... Uh, <laughs> what, did you have a question? Uh, no, so that oh, I was still on a statement. Okay. Uh, I was going kind of slowly about that. Uh, but uh, we are, we're also going to play on a season that starts in the fall sometime and ends in the spring. So how we did our jerseys, revealing them all in May, yeah. uh, if, if the idea was in a typical, in, in the prototypical American Soccer League, we would just move that up to, say, February. Can't do that anymore because the season actually starts in, in August or, you know, We'll just, we'll just say in August. Yeah. So we've got to do this weird like spring season thing to get us to the summer where we have our real off season for the start of the real season. So, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to do that? I don't know. That's for, that's for the club to decide mostly. 
if, if you guys are listening, I would suggest only one jersey for the spring, something new and different, because we're going to debut an owner's jersey at some point. Mm. So let's just have the owner's jersey. Yes. Add a new jersey for the spring, mm. and then reset everything uh, for, the, for the fall, spring, 2020, 2021 season. You know, Matt, you're pretty smart. I know. So much, so much to talk to me. That was a joke. We're all, we're all say, internally laughing you, at here. I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, like, so things are going to look, look a little bit different in a variety of ways. The club's going to have to evolve a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and truly, this fall is, is the transition to full professionalism. The players, uh, the, the, the front office, um, everywhere. And, and, and it's, it's a little bit scary. Uh, it's going to be different. Different's always a little bit weird. Uh, are there any things that you guys are maybe concerned about at all? I, uh, I have something that I'm not concerned about. The fact that this is happening and that I'm, con- I'm an owner, like you. I feel like I'm really excited to be a part of history. And I will, couldn't choose a better leader instead of coaches instead of fans to do it with because like from the moment I even learned about CFC, I knew what the mantra was and I knew where we weren't going and where we were staying. And I've seen that grow into possibilities of leaving and then going somewhere new and I've watched people execute it. So I'm super confident and super happy that I'm going to be along this ride and I'm looking forward to it. So much so i'll echo slightly less optimistically just based on the question what jay said i i i genuinely couldn't imagine a better group of folks to do this with but i'll tell you what i am a little bit nervous about um when you transition to the professional ranks you're going to have a big budget increase true both due to travel costs extended season costs and player costs so as a sustainable model, CFC is the model for that, for sustainability. And, of course, that makes me nervous. Um, I, I have confidence in, in the front office, and I have confidence in those running things to do a good job. But I'm still nervous because it's hard. It's not an easy not to crack. Um, and then the other thing I'm nervous about is that while we have tied our future to Detroit City, and Miami FC, who I have the utmost amount of confidence in, and, and Oakland Roots to a slightly lesser extent, but I, I like them as well. There's a lot of unknowns in NISA, and NISA itself is an unknown. So I'm excited, I'm optimistic, but I'm a little guarded with what uh, the future holds because it, we don't determine fully our own destiny. Yeah, I think that's a it's I think that's a really point. fair take, and I think it's. Uh, we we talk a lot about how we're you know we're club over league, but I can understand the folks uh, who you have to worry a little bit about the league. Sure, because we're all in it together. And I'll, I'll pose a question to you guys, and then I'll answer at the end. Now that we've kind of said, well, Matt, did you have something you wanted to answer with that you're nervous about? Uh, no, I think you, I think you you took mine. Okay, you took mine pretty well. So, um. What are you most excited about now that so we can end this segment on a positive note, uh, on a, on a happy note? And I know Jay, you kind of already answered this, but what what's the thing you're most excited about? Uh, schedule, longer schedule, playing 
and just more games is what I've always wanted. I mean, there are pluses that come with it that I'm also extremely excited about, but just playing more and being able to not wait nine months out of the year for soccer to come back around. Amen. Uh, what am I? What am I most excited about? Yeah, most optimistic, most excited. The best part of joining a professional league. I don't uh, know. Can I add one more thing? Sure, go for it. Because we're obviously just starting this podcast, but <laughs> full season means. Do you mean today or a few from a few weeks ago? A few weeks ago. Now, instead of it, instead of what it would have been if we decided to do this a long time ago, it's going to be much more extended. And Rachel is going to love you guys much more as we go forward. Well, shout out to Rachel because she's fantastic for uh, letting us come here every week. Letting us come here to the studio in a in in, in what used to be a, a functional room in your house and is now <laughs> <laughs> anything uh, but that. Now we drink whiskey in here on Mondays. Yes. So, uh, what are you most excited about, Matt? I'm just really. I'm, I'll take a slightly longer term view. Uh, most mm. of you, most of you know. Uh, that I, I showed up at the second ever CFC home game in 2009. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, you did. Uh, without, without knowing a soul. That's not true. I actually, I, I, walked in, I walked in with somebody that I knew from high school. Uh, didn't know he was going to be there. Uh, but I, I didn't know any of, the, any of the Chattahooligans. I didn't know anyone associated with CFC. I just showed up. And I stayed. Uh, the community was welcoming. And, and we kept coming back to games. You kept coming back to games the next season. You're 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 waiting you're waiting nine months for the season to begin. I look back at at the, those first years, those first games, and I look at where we are now. Chattanooga has a professional soccer team built from the ground up. Yeah. Built, not bought. And we did that. We did that. The three of us in here, the coaches, the players, the owners, the board, the fans that showed up in 2009, the fans that started showing up uh, in 2010 and 11 and 12 in subsequent years, the fans that came to their first game this year, the fans and now owners who'd never been to a game and who bought into the mission in January. They also helped make this happen. And this could not have happened without every single person playing a part and making it better and making it possible. Do you know what we say to all of those people? Well done. Shout out. All right. So I'll end it on a little, a little I guess, simpler note. Um, I echo what you both said, but I'm just really excited to play more games with teams that care. Yeah. And and teams with resources. And I, and that's definitely meant as a slight against some of the teams we've played with in the past. There are many teams who care and who try really hard with ownership groups on a shoestring budget who really do their very very best. But there's a lot of guys and gals out there who run teams who this is a basic hobby for and they don't really care and they don't they shut, they shut down in the middle of the season. They don't treat their players well. They leave from year to year and come and go. And I want to play with teams that care. I want to play with ownership groups that care, that have re the resources at least to stay alive and exist. And I want to build something bigger because iron sharpens iron. CFC 
has been the big fish in a, in a small pond. And while that's been fun, I want to play against teams that make us better. Ownership groups and fan groups and teams that challenge us to be better. And I want to play a longer season, like Jay said. So longer season against teams who care. I can't wait. This, this fall has already been awesome, even though we've lost two games. Our last three games have been against fully professional teams in Detroit, the New York Cosmos, and Miami FC. It's been a it's been a bummer how those uh, those results went. But also, but we we looked like we belonged in, we, in all of those games. We absolutely looked like we belong. Yeah, and it's been refreshing to see nice facilities, teams that care, fan bases that are reasonably engaged. And I can't wait for the rest of this fall Members Cup, and I can't wait for Nisa next year when we get to do this from March until whenever. Yeah, I think I think that's a great note to end the show on. Yeah. I agree 100%. All right. So, Matt, if uh, folks want to hit you up on social media, yell at you about your takes, ask questions. Yeah. You can find me on social media at Whiskey is Fine. That's on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram as I am Coniglio. And I have a Facebook and I sometimes check it. And I am Andrew Brzee on Twitter. That's at Andrew B as in boy, R E S E E. Hit me up. And I am uh, J underscore Buchanan on in, uh, Twitter. And on Instagram, I'm at letter J. So just a, a quick shout out to our, our brothers in uh, in podcasting at the 423 Soccer Pod, Jim and Todd, especially Jim, who is fresh out of surgery, fresh out of the hospital, and I believe home now. Back if in not, Chattanooga. If not home, he's definitely on his way home now from, from Birmingham. Um, we wish him the absolute best. We can't wait to see him again at the game. Can't wait to hear him ranting about uh, <laughs> however the games have gone. Hopefully happier rants uh, soon. And yeah, we, we love you, buddy. And we hope to collaborate on an episode soon. See ya.